At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm your host, Richard Nelson. Christian nationalism. It's a much talked about topic, especially since the January 6, 2021 Capitol riot. But what is it? It's often used and, and meant in a derogatory way, but is there such a thing as a good Christian nationalism? And how should Christians in particular think about their relationship to the state? And joining us to talk further is Dr. John Wilsey. He's an associate professor of church history and philosophy at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the author of numerous books on American religious history and national identity. Um, also joining us is Dr. Colin Smothers. He's the executive director of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood and the director of the Kenwood Institute in Louisville, Kentucky. Gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. Hey, we're doing this program on Christian nationalism because we're all working together on a conference entitled Christian Nationalism and How to Think Biblically. It's going to be held at Kenwood Baptist Church in Louisville on September the 15th, so I will get that uh, promotion out of the way. We'll probably talk about it a little bit more as we get into the program. But I thought it'd be good to let our listeners know, first of all, that we're, we're going to be doing this conference but also I want our listening audience to, to think deeply and carefully about this issue of Christian nationalism. So I think it'd be helpful to start out first um, with a definition of Christian nationalism. So I'm going to turn to our resident scholar, if you will, uh, the expert on the matter, Dr. Wilsey. Yeah, that's a that's a big question. We could have an entire episode talking about that one thing, but uh, let me just try to to sum it up for you real fast. Mm -hmm. uh, Christian nationalism is is um, used in various ways and has been uh, for a long time. Uh, on the one hand, Christian nationalism can be a historical uh, sort of category for identifying the nation, mm -hmm. and it can also be a theological uh, way. Uh, or a political view of of the nation. Mm -hmm. um, in the historical view, that's that's been what most you know most uh, of the time in American history, Christian nationalism has been seen through a historical lens, um, either to situate the nation in the past or to situate the nation in the future. So, for example, um, a lot of people who are Christian nationalists would say that. Well, our founders were evangelical Christians, and America was founded on Christian principles, and so we're a Christian nation. That would be a way to identify the nation um, with an orientation towards the past. Uh, another way to think about it would be to say that the United States is a Christian nation because uh, we're the new Israel, and we're going to um, uh, be God's agent uh, to bring in the millennial kingdom. Um, or that uh, we are God's uh, divine agent to bring in uh, world harmony, world peace, uh, to bring it into war, those kinds of things. Um, the first uh, the first version of that was something that um, 
people would have thought maybe in the colonial period. And uh, the second one would have been what people might have thought in the early 20th century. Uh, that situates the country in an orientation to the future. So both uh, the first example I gave and the second example I gave are historical in that they situate the nation in time, right, to identify who we are. Yeah. Um, the other the other version, the political or the theological uh, version, is uh, a way to um, identify the nation as um, in in itself, as it as it as it thinks of itself, um, a, a nation operating uh, as an organic whole, an, an organic unity, where the individual uh, citizen loses, um, you know, to a substantial uh, amount, their own personal identity, mm-hmm. and um, the nation becomes uh, the consuming all. And the nation itself is identified as Christian through the Christian magistrate mm-hmm. uh, or the Christian um, head of state. Uh, and that person would be, um, uh, could be a king, could be uh, a president, doesn't matter what, what the title is. Um, but uh, the person would serve in the function of something like a king uh, priest, uh, representing God before the people and representing the people before God as the as the magistrate. Uh, and uh, so there, those are two brief uh, ways that we might think about Christian nationalism. There's a lot there, John, that we could go into. And I, I want to pick up on the last point that you're making about um, citizens in a nation, identifying them as Christians through a national Christian identity. I think of Europe in 1415, hundreds, um, where you had this uh, philosophy, theology of the divine right of kings, where the nations were identified as Christian. Uh, in fact, the, in the Mayflower Compact, the pilgrims acknowledge the king, who is the essentially the Christian potentate, the Christian magistrate of a Christian nation. England was a Christian nation. Germany was a Christian nation. France was a Christian nation, and they define their kings as Christian. And I think in that context, their subjects, the citizens, were Christian as well. Of course, moving to the formation of this country, the colonies, by the way, so you mentioned the colonies, they identified as uh, Christian political bodies. They integrated biblical passages into their constitutions and into their laws. Um, You couldn't hold office unless you were a Christian. You could not vote unless you were a Christian. They implemented Christian principles as far as in their, uh, in civil society. And if you disobeyed, let's say, doctrinal standards, the state could uh, prosecute you. And even there were death penalties for, they had blasphemy laws, for example. And that was, so that was the colonial era. But something new happened with the founding of this country when the Declaration of Independence was created. Of course, they they acknowledged, you know, one of the main ideas was that there's a creator who endows us with rights and liberties. So you still have that maintenance of the between the state and God. But but when the Constitution came along, 11 years after that, you see this uh, new idea that emerged on the political scene where there shall be no religious test for holding public office. You see in the First Amendment also 
where these liberal ideas, and I use that in the in the big sense of the term, of freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to assemble, these these freedoms were considered inherent human rights, regardless of your religious persuasion. But these were rights that the government would uphold as fundamental and foundational to this country. So in the founding of this country, you see these these ideals that I would argue come from biblical theology, but yet you see a separation in the formation of this country from what we saw in from from Europe, European nations where they were officially Christian. So this issue has arisen again because of the uh, January 6, 2021. Uh, riots in the capital. The idea of Christian nationalism has emerged. I want to, uh, an important book has come out as well. Um, and I'll just we'll introduce that right now. Stephen Wolf has a book. I'm actually holding it in my hands. It's The Case for Christian Nationalism. It's a, it's a lengthy book. I just started reading it. It's interesting. Um, came out uh, not too long ago. In his book, he defines Christian nationalism as this. Christian nationalism is a totality of national action consisting of civil laws and social customs conducted by a Christian nation as a, as a Christian nation in order to procure for itself both earthly and heavenly good in Christ. So how does this definition uh, of Christian nationalism by Stephen Wolf, and he is a self-defined Christian nationalist, how is this definition opposed to the American tradition of federalism and limited constitutional government. And I could throw in there, what, how is this opposed to the idea of Christian citizenship from a biblical perspective as well? I think that that um, is, that, I mean, he, he, the, the, one of the things that's great about the book and he's really good at is that he d- defines all these terms at the beginning, all the terms that he's going to be using a lot in the, in the book, he, he defines them very clearly. <clears throat> so that's uh, very helpful. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, what what a lot of authors don't don't do. The, the the issue that he raises in the book is what what is the purpose of the state for human flourishing? Is the purpose of the state to secure through civil law the highest good of the citizens? Is is that what the state is for, or is the purpose of the state to secure the citizens? rights, rights to life, liberty and property, the pursuit of happiness. So the the question is, what is the ultimate goal or what is the ultimate end of the state? How does the state assist in the pursuit of the highest goods? And that's, I think, the central issue of of the book, that he believes that the, the end of the state is to secure the highest good, and he calls it the highest heavenly good, of of the people, but that's not what the founders' vision was. Uh, the founders' vision was not to define the good, because in order to do that, in order to secure the heavenly good of the people, the state has to define what that good is. And it's not the state's role. The, the founders believed it wasn't the state's role to do that. It was the individual citizen's job to do that um, within the confines of their um, reason and their also their religion and their religious faith. And you know, the pursuit of happiness was uh, the right that everybody had to pursue their individual flourishing um, yeah. in what they wanted to to do for 
their families and for in their occupations and how those things would sort of organically contribute to the good of society. But the state did not define what the good was and did not, you know, sort of pursue an agenda for the totality of the nation to take their medicine. You know, in other words, you know, when you're when you're a child and you're, you have a cold, you don't want to take the medicine, but your grandmother forces it down your throat. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be what Stephen Wolf is uh, was is asking uh, is asking for. And of course, that is the, to define the good is a deep question. And that's, I would say, the role of the church, which I want to bring in Dr. Colin Smothers, who's the executive director of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, also the director of the Kenwood Institute, which is located at or in Kenwood Baptist Church, which is hosting our meeting on September the 15th on this topic of Christian nationalism. Colin, could you um, speak briefly as to your interest in this topic and why the Kenwood Institute is hosting this conference? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I'm i very excited about this event. I think it's an event uh, or a topic, I should say, that is on many Christians' minds right now. Many people are are having to think through and really react. You know, you mentioned 2021, I think the election in 2020 and the rapid secularization that everybody is witnessing all around us. You know, my role at the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood engages issues of gender and sexuality. And this is kind of a leading edge of the secularism that that people are seeing. And I think Christians are rightly concerned uh, at the moral state of our nation and of our culture and people are wondering what is the the role of the church in response to this. Uh, so that that touches a little bit on my on my interest. Uh, but also, as a full throated Baptist, um, I want to see uh, biblical uh, biblical theological arguments win the day in terms of um, what does it look like, what does the Bible prescribe for how we ought to order our churches uh, first and foremost, and how the state ought to be ordered. And uh, you know, Baptists haven't fared very well. Uh, in the past uh, with relation to Christian nationalism, establishment, uh, churches. In fact, in a lot of ways, our movement grew out of uh, separatist movements and um, disestablishment and and really contributed to a lot of, uh, I would say, the goods of, of what we see in the American founding. Um, so what I'm looking to do is not uh, to promote some sort of a, um, a new vision in terms of uh, what a Christian nationalism might, might look like in this country, but in many ways, I want a recovery of the principles that that really did found this great nation, uh, the biblical, the Christian principles, um, you know, that underlie those things. And and so th- that's my interest. Um, I'm very excited again about this event. I think Dr. Wilsey, Dr. Walker is going to be a speaker there. Uh, we're going to be able to have a good conversation and hopefully move the ball forward a little bit. Yeah, no, that's very good. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Commonwealth Matters. We're talking about Christian nationalism. We're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a moment. Is America a Christian nation? To what extent did followers of Jesus influence the founding of the United States? And what role does Christianity have in the public square today? Hi, this is Richard Nelson with the Commonwealth Policy Center. If these are questions that you're looking for answers for, then join us on Thursday, September the 15th at Kenwood Baptist Church in Louisville. That's where we're holding a conference on Christian nationalism. Join John Wilsey, Andrew Walker, and Colin Smothers as we talk about our history, biblical principles, ethics, and how Christians should engage the culture today. You don't want to miss this important event. So join us on Thursday, September the 15th at Kenwood Baptist Church in Louisville. 
For more information and to register, go to our website, commonwealthpolicycenter.org. That's commonwealthpolicycenter.org. And we look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson here with Dr. Colin Smothers and Dr. John Wilsey. Just before the break, uh, gentlemen, we were talking about Stephen Wolf's um, definition of Christian nationalism and this general rise in Christian nationalism and embrace in this country since the January 6th riots in the U.S. Capitol. Is this new movement or new wave of Christian nationalism a reaction to by Christians to the extreme secularization of our culture. It is a reaction against the secularization of our culture and the radical sort of agenda that the left has with regard to gender and sexuality, especially. Um, But it has been simmering for a while in that um, this is part of a broader, what's called uh, post-liberal movement that's been afoot for maybe about 30 years. Um, the, uh, the, the post-liberal kind of, uh, attitude is that liberalism, and when we say liberalism, we say it like you, you used the term a, a few minutes ago, classical liberalism, think, uh, you know, um, John Locke and, you know, natural rights and the declaration of independence and those things that liberalism has, uh, has had its day and that it's, uh, it's no longer, uh, viable political um, philosophy uh, in the early 21st century, because what liberalism has brought us to has been um, this this moral uh, crisis that we're facing in our culture. Um, that gay marriage, um, you know, uh, uh, transgenderism, transhumanism is as a result of what liberalism has opened the door to, and what we need. Um, is a much more vigorous Christian response. So the Catholics on their side, they have what, what's called integralism, which is very similar to what Stephen Wolf is, is offering up in his book. Stephen Wolf is a Presbyterian. Um, so Christian nationalism and then uh, Catholic integralism are uh, very, very similar uh, kinds of post-liberal reactions uh, to the, the moral crisis we're facing today. Colin. I think that we're in agreement as to the church's responsibility to disciple its people to live faithfully according to biblical principles. Hence, your organization that teaches what it means to be a man and a woman, what marriage means, what God intends for us as human beings to flourish. Um, so we know what God expects of us, but how? what would you say is the responsibility of the church um, as far as citizenship, as far as articulating what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Why is marriage to be important? How would What is the Christian's role, and I'll try to narrow this down, in informing the culture and informing political leaders as to God's design for human flourishing? Yeah, so I think Christians in this country have dual citizenship. Uh, we are citizens of this country. But we, we also have a higher citizenship, and that is citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, that comes by way of conversion, regeneration, new birth into the kingdom. And so balancing and understanding our loyalties underneath those two rubrics, I think, is, is part of what the Christian is called to. Part of that is to recognize 
our weapons of warfare. You know, the the state in many ways, biblical theologians point to Genesis 9 as, as the establishment of the power of the sword to punish evil doing, um, particularly the taking of life, uh, life for life, and then reasserted in the New Testament in Romans 13, the power of the sword to punish evil and to reward good given to the state there. And you do New Testament theology, you do biblical theology, and you realize the church is not given that sword. Instead, the church is given the sword of the Spirit, namely the Word of God, to preach, to proclaim, to live by, to order our own homes and our own churches by. And it is that very sword which pierces joint and marrow to the soul and the Spirit that we are given, that the church is given to see true and lasting regeneration, cultural change. So I would say the church needs to double down on that sword, the sword of the spirit. So what would you say, pressing into this a little further, for the Christian that that believes he's called to run for office and serve in office, what would you say there the, a biblically grounded worldview would be for being a, a Christian political leader? We agree that, we, that, that their role is not to be a pastor or to be a Sunday school teacher. They don't impose doctrine. But what does it mean for that pro-life, pro-family, pro-First Amendment, if you will, Christian leader? What does that look like if they're in office? I would uh, just say that I had the opportunity to uh, meet Daniel Cameron, who's running for Kentucky governor, just the other uh, night. And I think what he's pursuing, what he's uh, advocating for, um, is a good model for what this looks like. He is unashamedly Christian. He's Christian in his messaging. He's Christian in his his life. Um, and what he wants to do is, if he's elected governor, uh, to inhabit that role as a Christian, meaning informed by biblical principles, um, understanding that he is a man under God's authority, uh, ruling in, uh, you know, as representative even uh, of God on earth uh, in that way, in that particular capacity, uh, but also understanding the limitations of that office, um, recognizing that he is not Lord of conscience. There's only one Lord of conscience, so recognizing yeah. that conversion comes by way of the preached gospel, not at the, the tip of the sword. Um, and so th there's ways that we can pursue and we should pursue the goods of our neighbors uh, by loving them, by recognizing that uh, a Christian life is, is going to be the best life for them. But the way we offer that is, again, not by coercion, but, but by persuasion. And, and again, by the persuasion of, of the gospel agree more with you, but I'm going to play devil's advocate on that. There are those uh, opponents of Daniel Cameron who criticize him for his pro-life policies. Recently, he came out with an opinion supporting Senate Bill 150, which would ban hormone therapy and mutilation surgery of minors. And they're saying, well, Daniel, you're just imposing your values. You are overstepping uh, and you're imposing your values on other people. How would you respond to that, Colin? Well, I would just say uh, it's not an imposition of values. It's it's a recognition of uh, what anyone um, who is rightly guided by reason and revelation would come to that conclusion that life is precious. Life begins at conception. Otherwise, there's uh, you have a really hard time defining what is in the womb uh, if you don't recognize that as human life. Um, and what we owe to one another is recognition of of those rights. So even the concept of, of religious liberty, um, of freedom of the conscious, of, of those ideas of, a, of an individual autonomy, those are actually fundamentally philosophical concepts that I think are, are grow out of the Judeo-Christian worldview. Um, but it's actually a recognition of those things, of those um, 
the dignity and the worth of every human being that actually motivates someone to oppose those kinds of very harmful policies, uh, pro-abortion policies, pro-transgender policies. And it's really a, um, a recognition that we ought to love our neighbor and this is how we are. We should love our neighbor. Um, yeah. But I don't think it takes a, a chapter and verse to get there. I think that um, all of us as uh, created in God's image are able to reason our way toward that. And that's what our founders recognize with those inalienable rights uh, recognized uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, that's answered very well, Colin. Now, some would say that anyone who embraces pro-life arguments, complementarianism, biblical sexual ethics <laughs> is a Christian nationalist. And I, Colin, you kind of address this, but I want to go to John Wilsey. How would you address somebody who says that? If you have Christian values, therefore you're a Christian nationalist. It's an interesting uh, claim to make coming from the left, because for the last 50 or 60 years, I would say going back to the early 60s, the secular left has, has wanted to undermine the influence that religious people, Christian people, have had in the culture and in the political agendas that our nation pursues, and our, and our moral, moral agenda that we value, uh, such as um, the right to life and uh, marriage between a man and a woman. So since uh, since the early '60s, um, maybe even going before that, but you know, you, you remember people like uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare, who was uh, the big anti-prayer in schools person from way back, or remember that movement that they had to get rid of you know one nation under God in the uh, Pledge of Allegiance, or get rid of under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. Those have been sort of lame attempts by the left to uh, you know undermine the influence of religious people in the country. Of course, they've had more direct assaults through, you know, the issue of abortion and so forth. But recently, the left has found, I think it's found its voice, trying to achieve their goals by calling us all Christian nationalists. There was a, a book that came out in 2020 uh, that was uh, written by a couple of sociologists who tried to study this thing that of Christian national. They had a definition of Christian nationalism, and it was it was it was a little ambiguous because it didn't really have. A strong historical component didn't have this this uh, Stephen Wolf type of ma magisterial Christian nationalism component to it. It was sort of a blend of the two, but it was sort of centered around a group of questions that they asked in polling that they did. And one of the questions was, do you think that the nation should be declared a Christian nation? Of course, there were people that said yes. You know, I, I took the quiz that they give in the in the book. The book, by the way, is called Taking America Back for God. I don't think that America should be declared a Christian nation by law or by statute. I think that goes against the First Amendment. But then it'll ask questions like, you know, do you do you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman? Do you are you a complementarian? You know, do you, are you pro-life? And those things were going to make you a Christian nationalist too. So right. I fully, you know, buy into those things. I guess that means I'm a Christian nationalist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me, you but, and me both. Hey, John, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we are running out of time, absolutely. brother. Yep. Hey, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for joining us, both of you. I'm going to give one more plug to our conference coming up September the 15th at Kenwood Baptist Church. We are going to talk about Christian nationalism. There's more information that you can find on the Commonwealth Policy website. Uh, commonwealthpolicycenter.org. You can sign up very top of the webpage for more information there. Guys, thank you so much. God bless you. Keep up the good work. Thank you.